that way doesn't work anymore. If it was still working, people wouldn't feel awkward at events. People wouldn't be having a hard time building a business because they don't know how to connect with people professionally. I spent the last 10 years teaching corporate America leadership and teamwork. Now, I've left my nine to five job to help as many people as possible become leaders in their work and personal lives. Some say leaders are born, but I say they're built. This podcast is the beginning of my mission to create change on a massive scale. Join me and follow along as we explore leadership, teamwork, and growth together. My name is Brian Rollo, and this is Lead with Impact. Christine, welcome to Lead with Impact. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for having me. You are the first guest that I've had on the podcast that has come back to talk with us for a second time. So I'm really excited to continue our conversation about networking. Awesome. Well, I feel really excited and special now. (laughs) So we talked last time a lot about networking, how to do it. And that was in episode 56 for anyone who's listening. If you want to be introduced to Christine, go back and check that episode out. But today I want to talk about where where networking is in the summer of 2020 as we record this. And that is networking in challenging times. And there are two aspects of that that I want to talk to you about. First of all, let me just throw this out to you. How has networking changed? Since pandemic or in general? Since we spoke last. Since we spoke last. Um, I would say networking in general hasn't changed um, since pandemic. It has because people are, are being forced to do everything virtually and digitally. And the people that were fighting it before are trying to figure out how to navigate this. Um, but for the most part, I don't think networking has significantly changed, but people are starting to see the light a little bit on just making their time be more valuable and, and more efficient because you know if you're working from home now and you have kids and you have your spouse that's in the other room and you're just trying to navigate life right now it can be hard to network and i know some people either either they're not at all like they were before because their time has significantly changed or they're going back to their old ways of networking and just applying that into the virtual field and that doesn't necessarily work right when we spoke last we talked about networking as it existed then primarily, which for me, and I think for you too, was a lot of coffee meetings, was a lot of in-person events. I know you put on your own events that relied on people coming to a physical location. We can't do a lot of that now, depending on where you are in the country, but I think either we can't do those things yet, or a lot of us aren't comfortable doing those things yet. So what does successful networking look like in that environment? So successful networking in general to me is how you're having conversations. So it's not just the act of meeting somebody, whether it's, you know, virtually, you know, in person or over the phone, it's what is happening during that meeting. And I think that is the biggest misconception of networking and why most people don't like it. <laughs> if you ask people, do you like networking? Most people are like, eh, eh, maybe not. Yeah, I don't, I don't really like it. Okay, well, why don't you like it? Oh, well, it's not always be use of my time. I don't always meet quality people. You know, are you getting a client every time? No. Are you meeting people who are connecting you to people that are going to be clients? No. Well, okay, that's in what you're saying. So to me, a good networking conversation is something that's fruitful no matter what. So regardless if it's a phone call, regardless if it's a Zoom meeting, regardless if I, you know, I do happen to have an event, which I actually did uh, what, last week, last Thursday, I had my first in-person event at Frog's Alley Brewing in Schenectady. It went off fantastically. We did everything as CDC guidelines required and everyone was more than happy. And we're gonna hopefully be doing another one at the end of August. But even without that, You know, I've still been running virtual happy hours and that's been going off really well. Um, But again, it's the content 
the content is what the difference is. The content is what makes or breaks that conversation, that that communication routes and outlets for those people. And, and that's what people are not understanding or know enough about to have those details so that they can have those good conversations. Right. And I wanted to share a story. I've told you this quickly, but I, I think the audience would love to hear it. I was on a call a couple of weeks ago with someone totally on the other side of the country. I live in New York, as you do. I was on the call on a call with someone in California, and he asked what I do, and I told him as far as the consulting side, not so much the podcasting side. And he said, you know, there's this lady that you really have to meet. She lives in upstate New York, and her name is Christine Smith. And I just, uh, I was blown away by that. Somebody that didn't know you and I knew each other. Yeah. All the way across the country, you could have referred me to any one of how many people in the United States <laughs> referred me to Christine Smith. Uh, I got a chuckle out of that. And it just shows me, A, that you're working really hard, and B, what you are talking about really works. Yeah. Got to live and breathe it, right? Lead by example. I. I can't tell you how, you know, just like anything in building a business, right? You can't expect people to be loyal and follow you if you're not actually dealing with the daily struggles like they would normally. And I'm trying to be like, okay, here's what I did. Here's what not to do <laughs> so that you can get there a lot faster than I did. And, oh yeah, here's the process. Here's my methodology. Here's why it works. I've fine tuned it. I've, you know, edited it more than one time and it's always going to evolve and, here it is on a silver platter, essentially. Right. So without repeating too much or anything really that we talked about last time, I do want to revisit something you alluded to a couple of moments ago, and that is the content. What do people get wrong about the content when they go to network? And explain even maybe what you mean by, mean by content. Yeah. So. If you talk to somebody about what networking actually is, people aren't wrong. It's not a matter of, you know, what they think of networking. It's just not what it is now. So networking and what people think that is, is what it has always been. It's just connecting with people, right? Oh, it's getting more clients. It's building relationships, but people actually aren't taking steps to do that. They actually don't know what building relationships is like in the professional community to the point where it's advantageous they're building advocacy and they're building reciprocity methods in order to build a business as strategically and intentionally as possible. So the content is, you know, what questions are you actually asking somebody? Are you setting expectations with that person you want to add to your network? Do you even have networking layer layering categories for people in your network and for your clients to determine how much effort, time and communication you're going to be spending with these people? And, you know, people always ask me, they're like, how do you keep track of your massive network? I'm like, I don't have to because everyone is in a different spot. So I know how much time and effort I need to spend based on where that person falls in my layering. And that makes a huge difference because I know if they're putting in effort, it's just like any other relationship, right? You know that your friends, your family, they're probably putting more effort in, but there are some people you only talk to once a year. You only talk to them at, at a wedding or a big family function, right? Same thing with networking. The same type of method applies. And what's very interesting is that you can put someone in a situation where you go to a barbecue. So let's talk, you know, prior pandemic, right? You go to a barbecue, you introduce a friend to another friend. You're like, hey, you guys have similar interests. You guys both like to bowl or swim or, you know, go hunting. Hey, have a conversation. Oh, you know, Bob, you should hear what John did when he was in the woods the other day. It was hilarious, right? And then they start talking about that commonality, right? And it's so easy and it's, and it's fresh. And yeah, you can have those awkwardness you know, those awkward situations or whatever, but you're, you're more likely to take what your friend said because they know you, right? The same actually applies in the professional world, but people can't relax one. And we're inundated with, you know, the sales conversation and how we need to sell and how we need to get ourselves out there as that person who only offers a product or service, but we're not robots. So, you know, you cannot separate the professional and personal side. I don't care who you are. I don't care what training you've had. You can't. And you shouldn't. People, you, you, you should be surrounding yourself with people and clients who have similar interests, personality traits, values, life experience, skills, because 
you're going to, by the laws of natural attraction, you're going to have people that are going to gravitate towards you anyway. And that's what I mean by content. You know, most people are going into a conversation and they don't even know what they want. They don't even know the types of clients they really should be working with because they're just going by what their, their manager told them, well, you need to go after X, Y, and Z because that's our, that's our fruit. But you have no way of talking to those people. You have no common, you know, foundation with them. You, you have nothing that's going to make the conversation not weird and awkward. And if it's weird and awkward, no one's going to buy from you. They're not going to trust you. They're not going to like you. And it's not going to go anywhere. You're going to struggle. So, you know, why struggle in, in the professional world if we don't have to, it's hard enough as it is finding clients, making sure our funnel is always full. So why not have just better conversations? Why not have better content moving forward? and asking different questions. And that's something that I'm trying to do is prep people to have better questions and know exactly what it is they're looking for, know exactly who they are to a degree where they can articulate who their clients should be, who their networking funnel should be, so that it's not a challenge anymore. They, they have clarity, they have focus. And even if that expands out at a later point, they have a place to start and they're going to have much better conversations, whether one-on-one or at an event, because now they have that clarity. I just recorded an episode, which has not been released as of the time we're talking, but probably will be by the time this episode gets released with a sales expert named Dwayne Cashin. And he was talking about it from the sales side, basically how can salespeople create more genuine relationships and be more effective. And at the end of the day, when I asked him for a secret, he summed it up. I think he said, it's just hard work. There's nothing harder than hard work. In other words, he thinks a lot of salespeople fail because they don't put in the time to really understand who they're talking to really target who they're talking to, learn a little bit about them, learn that what they're doing well enough that they can present that in a super effective way. So I bring that up because I'm hearing that and what you're telling me too. The networking is not just, I'm going to show up to this event and float around and see what happens. It's like, it's nothing harder than hard work, but you have to do the work to prepare yourself. You got to do your homework. And you know, that's, I think that's something that people aren't being taught to do because, you know, people assume they, they know what their target market is based on what they're selling or what their service is. And if you actually have a conversation with the clients that they already have, I ask them, you know, has anybody left yet? How, how much of a struggle has it been to get that person to be a client? Do they, are they hard to communicate with? Like those are indicators. Those people should not have been clients and that's going to happen anyway. You know what I mean? Like as you build a business, right, you're going to have people that aren't necessarily going to be loyal. You know, they just come in for the best price or for whatever reason, like you're going to get those people. But if you can fine tune and have a better ask, then other people know what you're looking for as well. And that to me is how sales can be much more effective. You know, I hear all the time, all the people that that'll say, you know, cold calling is a good way to go and drip campaigns and all that stuff. I'm like, listen, you know, you do that, you, you make those cold calls, but I feel it's more effective to have an advocacy strategy. And you can't advocate if you don't advocate for yourself. Advocating for yourself is actually telling people what it is you want and being clear about it rather than just saying, well, you know, I want to work with everybody. Well, Obviously, everyone wants to work with everybody, right? Everyone wants to make millions of dollars. Everyone wants to be, you know, financially confident, but that's not a reality, right? So the reality is, well, why don't we get quality clients in? Because that's going to breed other quality clients. People are going to talk. That's naturally going to help you grow your business. And then you can fine tune your marketing campaigns, your SEO, your social media, the content that you put out because you know exactly where it needs to go. And then having conversations with your other, you know, connectors who are going to connect you to those other people, you can say, Hey, listen, Brian, I'm looking for, you know, a woman in her late thirties. She's probably type a highly professional, but she has one, two, three issues. She's dealing with one, two, three things. And you're like, Oh, wow. You know, I thought of three people every time you said that. And I tell people, I'm like, listen, if you give people what I call a grocery list. So an active description of what it is that you're looking for, your client avatars, people are inadvertently going to put themselves into that description to see if they fit 
whether they realize it or not. And then they're going to start trying to fill other people into those slots. And I'm like, it's amazing how fast it can happen too. And if you lead by example and ask them the same question and start introducing them to other people immediately, whether that person that you introduce them to becomes a client of theirs or not, you just think there's going to be quality with that synergy opportunity for them. They're going to want to do it for you. People genuinely want to help other people for the most part. And if you continue surrounding yourself with people with that type of mentality, it just kind of grows from there. When you do the work. When you do the work. That's right. I've started thinking about it this way, Christine. How can I make it easiest for someone to refer me? How can I, how can I remove the friction, right? How can I make it, if I want Christine to refer, refer me, how can I make it so there's the least amount of friction in Christine's head when a potential client of mine shows up in front of her? And anything I've done to add friction to make it confusing is shooting myself in the foot. So is that sort of what you're getting at when you talk about oh, yeah. really narrowing down? Clear and concise. Yeah, you have to be able to talk about your business to people who don't, who just aren't at your level in experience, skill, whatever. Like not everybody knows what you do. No one ever is going to be a hundred percent knowledgeable on what it is you do because they're not you. Right. But if you can't articulate that to somebody else, it's never, it's never going to go anywhere. You have to be able to not beat around the bush. You have to be very upfront with what it is that you do. And it honestly drives me insane. I still see people that, they're like, oh, well, you know, I work for this company and this is long story. And I'm like, listen, dude, you've already lost my interest. Like if you're making me watch a video before we have a conversation, like what, that's, that's, you're delaying. And to me, that sounds sketchy and it sounds sketchy to other people as well. So they're like, well, why would I do business with this person? Regardless of who they are as a person, professionally, they just seem like they're trying to hide something. So there's no point. Just just get it all out there and say, listen, this is what I have to offer. It's very A to B. Here's who I like to work with. Here's why I like to work with them. And um, here's the problems that I solve. And here's you know how I do that differently than somebody else in my business. And that's it. And here's how you can make introductions for me, whether it's you know to a client or somebody that is working with the types of people I want to work with. And that's it you've given that person all the tools that they need and you, because you already built them. That's the other thing too. Most people don't have a methodology out there for when they go to network with other people. So they have a one-on-one -on -one, and I'm sure you've had this right prior COVID you go off for coffee with somebody and they just kind of sit there. And if you don't lead the conversation, they're just kind of like, Oh, so what it is that you, you know, what do you do? And I'm like, really? That's why we're you. You just want to know what I do. You don't want to know anything else about me, like why we're here, what we're able to accomplish, you know, tell me about your clients, tell me, you know, why you got into this business, like none of that other stuff. I'm like, why, why do we only ask that question? It's because we don't know really what to ask. To be honest with you, I think people just don't know. And they think, well, I got to start somewhere. I got to know what this person does. But at the end of the day, if you don't like that person, you're not going to trust them. So it doesn't matter what they do. So stop asking that question. <laughs> Ask other questions. You can learn about what somebody does by learning about their clients. You know, tell me how you're different from somebody else that does, that is in the same category. And I put that loosely because you're not them. You react different. Your skills are different. Your experience is different. So I can't lump you into anybody else who does what it is you're doing. You can't do that to me, but I need to explain that to you. You need to feel exactly why I'm passionate about what it is that I'm doing. And if you don't get that feeling, I'm not going to leave any impression on you whatsoever, unless I'm working with a very bizarre group of people, like something you've never heard of. Like I only work with people that have two different colored eyes because of X, Y, and Z, right? Like you'd be like, I'm going to remember that because that's very unusual. Right. But outside of that, if I don't leave any other type of impression and I just, Oh, Hey, I want to help people who are looking to buy homes. Like that's not, that's not going to leave an imprint in your mind. You're not going to remember that. Something you spoke about earlier in reference to your ideal customer and the tendency to want to say everyone is my ideal customer. I've started thinking about that rather than who would be on my, rather than who would be my ideal customer. Who is it easiest for me to work with? Who would it be easiest for me to generate great results with? 
So even if I could work with anybody, what's the easiest win? Right. And you don't want to work with everybody anyway. Like not everybody's going to be a good fit and not for nothing. Like I tell a lot of people to take personality tests. I'm like, you probably should have a better idea of who you are, how you think, how you react to things. What's your emotional intelligence? You know, those things are so important in building a network and having a business because you might realize you're missing out on an entire group of people that you should be targeting just because of who you are. And I think, you know, in the world that we live in, a lot of businesses are very old school and they don't like people being themselves. They want to put people in this box and say, well, this is, you have to follow the rules because that's how we've always done it. Well, not for nothing. You can't put everybody into a box because not everybody's going to deal with that well. And it's not a matter of whether they, they don't take structure or discipline or being told what to do, but it's kind of saying, well, I want everyone to be cookie cutter, but that's not how people are. People are not robots. People have emotions. People have life experiences, good, bad, and ugly. And those are things that can be applied to improving whatever it is that you're trying to build. And especially as a business owner, there's a ton of value in that just because they're low man on the totem pole does not mean they don't have something to offer or, or a skill that you didn't realize was going to be so valuable for your company and allow you to grow in a completely other direction. And I think communication has been very, it, you know, it's interesting during pandemic, I, I can't say it's lax. I just think that it's, it's just different. And, you know, we have texting, but there's a lot of emotion that's been pulled out of how we have conversations. We don't want to know what's behind the door. We just want to know what someone is to, you know, surface level and that's it. I'm not saying I need to know everybody's life story, but I want to know like how you got here and where do you want to go and who do you need to be connected to? And, you know, what's the best thing that's ever happened to you? And what was like a turning point in your life? And, you know, these are things you find out over time as you have conversations with people, but it can start with just being impactful and meaningful at the beginning. And people are so apt to do everything super, super, super fast. And unfortunately, you need to go slower and you're going to go faster when you do that. You take a little bit more time. And I think people think that relationship building is, is something that takes years and years and years. It doesn't. If you ask the right questions, relationships can be built very, very quickly. And, and I feel like I, I have done that over and over and over again. And I don't think, you know, my company would have grown to where it is right now without that. If you were coaching somebody to network, would there be certain things that you would tell them they should say early in the conversation, things they shouldn't say? early in the conversation, any other tips about things like body language or etiquette or things that could seriously hold someone back from making progress? Mm -hmm. So I have a lot of, I had a lot of these conversations actually, um, and teaching people how to be more impactful networkers. And there is no like secret sauce. It's all you know, comfort too. A lot of people feel very uncomfortable networking in general. So they don't often know how to even start the conversation. So I think it actually goes back to headset and mindset. And, you know, do you have that rejection mindset? Because I don't care if you're an extrovert or introvert, if you are constantly worried inadvertently about being rejected by somebody because of what it is that you do or what you're selling or what service you offer, nothing else matters. You're, you're not going to be able to get the amount of verbiage that you need to get over that. You have to get through the mindset stuff first. So that is something I like talking with people about because surprisingly more people have that issue, the rejection mindset, scarcity mindset, and that judgment mindset that actually prevents them from being a full capacity networker. And it's easily, you can easily see that you know, when we were going to networking events, even somebody that was very extroverted felt out of place. If they didn't get into that clicky group in time, well, now how do they get in there? And everybody feels like it's back, you know, high school cafeteria all over again. You're like, ah, how do I get into the cool kids group? How do I start a conversation? Because everyone's looking at me now and it's weird and it's awkward. Well, why does it have to be that way? 
and no one has prepped anyone to be able to have good conversations. I mean, you can talk to people and they're like, oh, well, you know, you say this or you say that, but that works for them. That may not work for that person. And I think that's also where it's important to recognize, you know, your discomfort levels. I think it's important to be uncomfortable in networking because that's, you know, pushing yourself, but you don't want to be to the point where it's paralyzing. So fear can trump anything at any time and cause you to be paralyzed. So even if you've had the active training on what to say, how to introduce a conversation, how to get out of a conversation when it's kind of weird or you're like, oh, this is not going the direction I want, right? Fear is going to trump everything. That rejection is going to trump everything. Scarcity is going to trump everything. So those are things that I feel have to be discussed first before somebody can truly become a really good communicator. To me, there's two mindsets that somebody has to have to be a successful networker. And I'd love your feedback. A, you have to have a mindset of curiosity because you do have to genuinely want to know what's going on in the other person's world. You do have to want to know beyond a surface level. But secondly, is that belief in yourself and the belief that what you offer is worthwhile and has value. Thoughts? Oh yeah, hundred percent agree. So I, I say the best networkers are people that are naturally authentic and genuine. And they, they already practice reciprocity to a degree. Um, they're just not doing it to the capacity that they should be doing it. Right. But I will say this is that can seem like frustrating advice to someone. I know that what we both said can seem frustrating to someone who isn't succeeding because they can show up and say, well, I'm authentically me and it's just not working. Or I was curious, but it's not working. So I think there has to be, I mean, we have to start with a mindset, but then maybe we experiment to get the tactics or we talk to an expert to get the tactics, but there has to be a process or tactics that we can implement once we have the mindset. Absolutely. And there definitely is, you know, a methodology to this where, you know, once, because I think when people say, well, I'm, you know, I am being myself, I am being authentic. And I'm like, well, what exactly are you saying? Because we've all met those people who are, you know, they're word vomiting on you. Right. And yeah, sure. They might be being honest and, you know, maybe genuine, but you don't throw up on somebody what it is that you're doing. You don't throw up all the products and services that you're, that you're, that you're offering and saying, well, you should be a part of my company because it's amazing. And it's like, I'm just being myself and I don't care what you think. And I'm like, eh, okay, let's be, let's be graceful. Let's still be professional. And there, you want a little bit of class in there. And I think you can still be yourself, um, but still doing it in a way that it flows nice. And I think that's the difference as well. I mean, we've all met people who are, who are wonderful people. Um, you know, maybe they're, I think of multi-level markers cause I feel like they're, they always trip on this a lot more and they're being told what to do by their upline and their upline is like, well, this is what worked for me. And this is what you should do. And just blast everyone and tell everyone how you're passionate and your why and everything else. And I'm like, yes, but it's too early to do that. You have to be able to have a genuine conversation about that other person to make sure you have gotten permission to talk about what it is that you do. That's the difference. Most people come in guns blazing about how they're gonna solve the world and solve everybody's problems with what they have to offer, but they forgot to ask questions. They forgot to you know, figure out the person that's in front of them. And that's part of qualifying. You know, any, any sales trainer is gonna say, listen, you gotta qualify. But you almost have to have a pre-pre-qualifying conversation to see, well, where is this person going to fall? At the end of the day, we all want everybody to be a client, right? But we know reality is going to say that's not going to happen, right? So rather than say, well, they're not going to be a client, so I'm just not going to have a conversation. Well, where are they going to fall in those networks that you layer out, right? Are they going to be somebody that will be a client later in the future? Are they just going to be a supporter? Okay, and what, and what floor are they going to be your supporter? Are they going to be at the top floor and they're, you know, calling out your name all the time. They're constantly sending you referrals and introductions, or is it like every once in a while, they sharing your stuff on social media? You know, what exactly does that look like? And, you know, that engaging conversation at the beginning can start that and figure out, you know, 
what are you trying to accomplish as a business professional? Who can I connect you to? You know, what, what problems are you facing in your business right now? And they might actually tell you something that you're like, oh, I can solve that. I know how to do that, right? And then now you have permission to have that conversation and say, well, I'd love to share, you know, what it is that I do. And maybe it would be helpful for you or, you know, maybe helpful for somebody else that you know. And then the conversation is flowing and progressing. And no matter what happens at the end of that conversation, you both are fully aware of what the other person does and why the person is different and how to make those introductions. And at that point, that both parties are going to decide, do I want to work with this person at any point in the future, whether it's right now, two weeks from now, or two years from now, that decision has already been made at that point. And especially if you can really describe your client avatars and why you work well with those types of people, that person has already put themselves into those pegs to see if they fit right then and there. And I think that's, you know, from a, a quick methodology, methodology um, breakdown is, is the way that it would go, the way that it would look after that mindset has been addressed. What about the use of stories? I have found that to be really effective when somebody says, what do you do? And I tell them either the story of a client that I worked with really quickly and how I helped them, or I tell them a story that shows why I do what I do. And I'm talking like maybe a minute, a minute, a minute and a half story. And a lot of times either people's eyes light up and they say, oh, I get it, or if it doesn't, I know they're probably not going to be the right person for me to rely on for networking help. So I love your thoughts on the use of stories. Oh, I love stories. I am a very visual person. So I feel I can best articulate what I'm trying to tell somebody by stories and descriptions and experience and, um, you know, sharing stories of people that I helped, I think is always a good one. Um, but I also think, you know, being able to describe what you do in as few words as possible is also impactful. Like, I love telling people I like making network not awkward anymore. And people always laugh. And they're like, oh, what does that mean? I was like, well, I'll explain it to you, right? But I got their attention. And I think that's the whole point, right? It's not a 30-second elevator pitch because that's that doesn't always give people enough information, surprisingly. They're like, oh, well, you, you know, I can tell you're a mortgage banker, you do mortgages. But okay, that's great, but why would I want to work with you, right? And that's something that I want people to know very early on within less amount of time. I want them to know in less than 30 seconds why they want to work with me or why they want to be in my circle somewhere and, you know, what it is that they're going to actually be a part of and realizing it's not just this one little thing. It's, it's way bigger than that. Right. So my formula which anybody that wants to is free to steal. And you can tell me if you like it, don't like it. But now that we're getting into tactics, I like to have a quick description that people can, will cause people to say, what does that mean? Just like you said, mm -hmm. what do you mean by that? So really to spark that curiosity and then bam, the story right after it. I found that really preps people for a conversation. So if you're so, if somebody's out there doing the work, and they want to really be good at this, that would be my advice, is to have a couple of those ready. Those quick stories and those quick one-liners that can really spark somebody into really wanting to, A, learn about you, and B, maybe better the odds that they will remember you. I think the other thing to add to that, too, is um, education. So using a you don't know how people's perspectives are on what it is that you do. So for example, if they were introduced to you by somebody else, I love asking people, especially if it was for a specific reason that they were introduced, well, what do you think I do? When it's gotten to that point in the conversation and we've talked about them and they're like, well, tell me, you know, what it is that you're doing. You know, I know a little bit, I read your LinkedIn profile or whatever. And then I'm like, what is it that you think I do? Oh my God, it's the best. Because sometimes they, they hear one thing or they've already made a, an assumption, right? And I know I've already provided value in, in the conversation because I did things differently, but I want to keep going, right? I want to make sure I'm getting ready to, to really tee off for this home run so that minimally we had a fantastic conversation. There's, there's synergy flowing left and right. And who knows what opportunities we might have together, but doing that and asking them what, you know, what it is that they think I do is probably one of my favorite things. 
Yes, that's fantastic. That goes back to the sticky note story we told last time, right? Mm -hmm. the, the what do you think I do? Yep. Yeah, well, the, um, oh, my experiment that I did last time. <laughs> right, exactly. Thought I forgot. I remembered. See, it worked. I remembered. Yep, yep. Yeah, same idea. I mean, people make assumptions all the time, right? And based on what they hear or what they know about other people in that business or what it is that you look like, and they just, you know, kind of put all those pieces together on their own, right? Made their own visual and made their own assumption. So, you know, rather than be let fear drive you with that potential rejection and that prejudgment that is already there, you're like, nope, I'm going to educate and I'm going to make sure they're fully aware of why I'm doing what I'm doing, why I'm different than other people in this business and how I'm executing on that. And they're just here to hear my story, plain and simple. If they become a client, that's an added bonus. If they become in my network, you know, become a piece of that, that's an added bonus as well. But no one is going to know about you unless you can tell a story, your story. And that is you being your own advocate, honestly. Right, right. Another tactical question for you and i really am not sure how you're going to answer this so <laughs> okay <laughs> i'm curious is it right or wrong to be very tactical and strategical about who you network with in the first place i've networked with a bunch of people and i heard you say earlier you never know who is going to help you and that's true but i've also realized that i've networked with a lot of people who were probably very unlikely to help me. And my time might have been better spent if I was a little bit more strategical in figuring out who is most likely to be someone that's going to bring me closer to my goal of doing more business and someone that I'm more likely to be able to help in return. So I would love your thoughts about that. So I'd be curious to know if this was something that's happened recently or this was something that happened when you first started building your business because if it was at the beginning then that's just the trial and error period right we're all going to go through that because you don't quite know what you want right so if it's something that's still happening then the clarity is not there the clarity has to happen for you to be able to actually tell somebody else well this is the type of people person I want to be around in my network. And I've actually gotten it down to personality traits for myself because I know who I get along with. And it's different types of people. There's different groups of people. It's not just one type. It's multiple types. But I can describe somebody and say, I'm looking for these type of traits. I know these types of people are going to work really well with our networking groups. So even for now, are you talking as someone to network with or are you talking as a client or both 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 i've gotten i've gotten those details down to a t because if i can't describe who it is that i want to work with then i'm going to end up taking on clients i have no business taking on so i need to essentially this is helping me set boundaries for who i want to take on as a client and who I I want to have come into my network because, you know, you look at this as like an exclusive club. Not everybody's going to get a VIP ticket, right? But some people are going to get VIP ticket and then, you know, you still talk to them occasionally, but they're not, you know, as impactful piece of your network, but they're still there. They're still valuable. And even people that are, you know, occasionally there, they're on the really outskirts of, of your network. It's not that they're not valuable. It's just, they're not people you're spending as much time with. They're not, you know, on all of the same wavelengths they're on some of them and they kind of come and go they're still trying to find their own ways they're still trying to find clarity themselves so they're just not there yet and they're not ready to take that on yet so i think that's why it's so important to to honestly have those visuals of what that ideal person looks like whether it's a client or somebody in, in your in your circles and then figuring out where they go where that placement is going to look like I literally have like an infographic I built specifically for this to help me figure out, okay, where is this person going to go? And then I lead the conversation in figuring out, okay, let's put a tester out. Let's do this. Let's do that. Right. They showed up to the meeting on time. You know, they, they sent me an intro right after they accepted the intros I sent them. They, they replied quickly. They started immediately coming to, you know, the networking groups and event like that shows me a lot. That's effort. 
And that means they're probably going to be towards the top, right? And they, they're, they're drinking the Kool-Aid, right? They're, they're a part of what it is that I'm trying to do. And they, they have the same mindset as me or they're, they're trying to get there and they're like, I'm just looking for guidance. I want to be around people like you. And I'm like, well, not for nothing. I want to be around people like that. We're constantly looking to grow and change and, and just they're hungry. They want, they want to get somewhere. So yes, it sounds like you're saying yes, be strategic about who you yes, network with. Yes. That's great. By the way, I'm glad to have a VIP I'm glad to have a VIP ticket to Christine's network for, <laughs> for this discussion. I'm very privileged. I'm grateful. What makes you do this? Why when Christine could be talking about anything with me, right? You could be the you're a good salesperson, right? You could be the the sales expert, you could be the cold calling expert, you could be the expert on a lot of things. What emotionally brings you back to networking? I think because I feel it's broken and I feel like it's my responsibility to fix it. How that came on me, I don't know, but um, for networking as long as I have, I don't like seeing other people struggle with their business that shouldn't be like, that shouldn't be the piece that people struggle with having your funnel always full, getting the right connections, having quality in your life, having support, just plain support. We're talking about like having a good, healthy Rolodex of people to contact when things happen. Why, why can't other people have that? And I know I, it's taken me a while to get there and I feel like I've still done it really, really fast. And I'm like, I want other people to have this opportunity. I want people to have it faster than I had it so that they can stop worrying about some of these other things in their business and they can focus on, you know, working in their business and working on their business and, and not plateauing and not, you know, getting stuck and not being able to, to move past wherever, you know, they were when they originally started. Um, that's why, that's why I do this. Cause I feel, you know, there's an opportunity to go to a networking event in the future and it's not weird. It's not awkward. And it's not my event. Like that would be amazing to go to an event and it's not any of those things. And that was why I started doing my own events because I hated that feeling. I'm very much an extrovert, but going to some of those events, I just felt like it wasn't, I wasn't valuable enough to be there because no one wanted to have a conversation because they automatically made assumptions on what they thought I did based on what I looked like and what my name tag said. And I know other people have felt the same way. And I'm like, I don't want anyone to ever feel like that. It might prevent them from starting a business. It might prevent them from leaving their job and going to another job or, you know, who knows, right? You never know what kind of effect that might have on somebody. So I'm like, I want to provide a space where that's not there. People are actually going to be more confident in having these conversations. They're, they're going to have a much clearer mindset. They're going to be functioning more efficiently. They're going to be thinking more strategically and intentionally. And it's going to help them see things they didn't see before. Because I know that's what it's done for me. And why does all of this matter to you? Um, I would say this is very fulfilling for me plain and simple. It, it is, it is so awesome to hear when somebody has been a part of my groups or, you know, they've gone through education pieces or development pieces and they come back and they're like, this has changed my life. This has helped me see things and talk to people in a way that I didn't even think I had the capability to do. And, you know, people that have been in business for 20 years are, are coming to me and saying, I, I want your help. I want you to help me do this. I want you to help me get past whatever this funk that I've been in for a really long time. And I didn't even know I was in this type of funk. And I would say that's, you know, that's a huge driving force in, in really truly building community and making sure people know that they're supported and they can do anything. It's a great answer. See, this is what happens when you come back for the second time. You get the deep psychological questions. We, we don't do just the... I can handle it. Bring it. We don't do just the, Let's talk about your parents. No, we're not going to go that far. But I appreciate you sharing that because when somebody throws themselves in to something as much as you did, I just know there has to be a reason behind it more than just it's a way to make a buck. There, yeah. there, has, there has to be something driving you, knowing how much work you've done and how far you've come. A couple of other tactical questions real quick. 
we talked about, I think the first question I asked you, and I still don't know if we've answered it, is how has networking changed in the pandemic? Obviously, video, Zoom, whatever other software people want to use are part, those things are a part of our lives now. But right. also has potentially expanded the reach for our networking where we are not geographically constrained anymore. So how can people take advantage of that? So um, it actually happened with ripple effects. Um, you know, as you know, we were, our groups were, were pretty local and, you know, we, we've thought about, you know, going nationally and internationally, but it didn't really occur to us that we could use Zoom to do that or any other like, you know, media platform. And it was pandemic. So I immediately shifted the groups to digital because that just, it, it was a no brainer for me. I did that. And then I had other members saying, oh my God, this has saved me so much time. And now I'm able to talk to people in other areas and other states. And I'm like, why weren't we doing this before? Right. <laughs> like, it was, it was amazing how, how that just changed. And our process works regardless if you're in person or virtual anyway. So there was no, nothing needed to change. It was just a matter of now people have the opportunity to talk to people on a regular basis in areas that they physically can't get to right away. And for people that are in sales that are doing business in Boston and Florida and out West or in the Midwest or even internationally, you should be regularly communicating with people and, and having people advocate for you in those areas on a regular basis. And what better way to do it than, than using any of the platforms that are out there and already having a methodology and process behind it. And it just makes it that much more seamless. Here's a softball I'm going to throw you. I expect you to knock this one right out of the park because I think okay. it's, <laughs> I think it's right in your lane, but it's a question it is a question I tend to ask of everybody these days. What traditionally accepted advice about networking do you think is nonsense? Um I guess like I don't know if it's related to networking, but I hate hearing if the wheel's not broken, don't fix it. Um, I, Cause I think that plays into how people think networking should be. Um, you know, don't try, don't make it bigger than it has to be. You know, don't try too hard. Your job is just to get out there and meet people and have people know you. Yeah, sure. That's, that's the very basic definition of what networking is, but people don't understand what that means. And you send a 24 year old out into the world of networking, whether it's virtual or in person, they don't know what they're doing. And even somebody that's been in sales for 20 years, and then you tell them, well, this is how we've always networked. And this is the way that we should do things. No, that way doesn't work anymore. If it was still working, people wouldn't feel awkward at events. People wouldn't be having a hard time building a business because they don't know how to connect with people professionally. And I think it's scary because people are worried of that rejection and that judgment because they're, especially if they're doing a business that's very different, right? You see people popping up with the CBD stores and, um, you know, you have a tattoo artist or, you know, the non-traditional business forms that are very prominent now, they might have a hard time because not necessarily there's like this embarrassment, but people don't support them because they're doing things differently their hair is a different color, their, their relationship status is different. And it blows my mind. So I'm like, no, it doesn't matter whether the wheel is broken. It's been on the same car for the last 30 years and the tread's been gone forever. And we know that if you try to stop, you're going to go right through that light and crash into a pole. So how about we just update it? And it doesn't mean we got to redo the whole process. Let's just update it and have it be modern. And I think that's where networking needs to go. It needs to be more modernized. It needs to be fitting for 2020. It needs to be fitting for, you know, the mindsets that are coming in right now. So a lot of people going into industry, right, are under 25. The way that they think and the way a six-year-old thinks is not the same. So you cannot teach them the same way. You can't say network the same way that your dad or your grandfather networked because that's not true. That's not how things are. You can't just hand out your business card and say, well, you networked, you did a good job. They know who you are. No, they don't. They know nothing about you. They have a card that they're probably going to throw away. And if you give that to a 22 year old, they're going to look at you and be like, what's this? <laughs> so I would say that, that, that one line totally applies to networking all the time. I love it. 
You've mentioned ripple effects a couple of times. The last time we talked, ripple effects was not even a thing. So explain to everyone what ripple effects is. So ripple effects is a networking company that I started back in January with my partner and it's honestly been a long time coming. So I've been running networking groups for about four years, but I was doing it for somebody else. And we parted ways and I just felt like I could do a much better job and provide way more value. And that's where Ripple Effects was born. And I felt the name perfectly illustrated what it is I'm trying to do. I want people to not only leave their own ripples behind, but you don't know who's you're going to touch and you don't know how it's going to make a bigger ripple. And you have no idea what that's going to look like in six months, a year, 10 years from now. And not only do we still have these strategic networking groups that are actively popping up all over the place, we have, we'll have nine active groups as of this coming Monday. Um, but we have this whole other wing of, you know, events. We're doing roundtables every Monday, um, in-person and virtual events. We do education and we also have development opportunities as well. So if people want to learn how to be more intentional networkers, we actually have programs for that. So they can go through and learn how to adjust their mindset and how to build client avatars, how to have more effective one-on-one -on -one meetings, um, how to have you, you know, completely uncommon networking approaches that are fit for 2020. And honestly, how to build a network based on who they are, not just what, you know, their boss is telling them to do that worked for them 30 years ago, but actually having a conversation and saying, well, what is it that you want to do in this? How do you want to build this? What do you want this to look like? Okay, well, let's, let's try and have a, a good foundation and baseline for you so you can build truly on top of that and it's not going to collapse in a year. Where even if you add, you know, more client avatars, you navigate in a different route, doesn't matter. You still have re that really great baseline. And, you know, the, the ultimate goal was to build community here. I, I wanted people who are already genuine and have a giver's mindset, they're a perfect fit for ripple effects. Whether they're coming in to, they just come into our events, they attend our roundtables, they attend the recon groups, they go through professional development opportunities, whatever it is, those are the people that do really well in this organization. And I know that this is just going to continue to essentially ripple out uh, to attract more of those types of people. How can people learn more about ripple effects? So you can follow us on LinkedIn. Uh, we have a pretty big LinkedIn presence, as do I right now. We also have an Instagram and Facebook pages um, that are that are live, but they're in their infancy stages right now. Um, and we also have a website as well. And what's the URL? The URL is uh, riplefx.us. Put you on the spot there. Nice. <laughs> yes. Well, I had to like think about it, make sure I spelled it right. <laughs> because it's not spelled like you would typically think. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, Christine. This has been great. And I appreciate you have, having you on. We've talked twice. I still feel like there's more questions we could talk about. But <laughs> Always. That'll be episode three. So thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you so much, Brian.